And welcome once again to another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. I am Bob McDonald, and you can find me on Twitter at Bob McDonald. And joining me, of course, is my co-host, Matt Dudek. Hey there, everybody. Matt, of course, you can find on Twitter as well at Horizon Matt. You can find episodes of the Horizon Roundtable at our website, horizonroundtable.com. Be sure and be sure to subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And you can find us on Twitter as well at Horizon RT. And Matt, we're 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 running we're doing a lot of coaching interviews this la- during the off season. So and I, I can't I can't help but be excited about this particular interview. You would be. No, I'm just kidding. I'm excited. I, I'm loving talking to coaches and I'm really excited for today's. Oh, I'm not going to be, I'm not ashamed to admit I'm very excited to talk about, uh, to talk to this coach. Cleveland State's Dennis Gates, how are you? And thank you for joining us. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm excited. So, um, so I guess, uh, you know, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Obviously we've been, uh, you know, how have you been, how have you been, um, you know, keeping busy during uh, during the shutdown and everything, and uh, more importantly, how have you been uh, working with your players and your uh, you know how have you been interacting with your coaches and your players during this time? Because I'm sure they were scattered. Well, during, wins. yeah, great question. During during this time, first and foremost, I would like to you know send regards and and thoughts to everybody impacted by this COVID nineteen and quarantine, whether it's loved ones, family, friends. Somehow, some way, uh, the impact is, is going to connect with each and every last one of us. And, you know, my regards are out to each and every one of uh, those listeners out there, our fans, and obviously you guys as fans and you and your families, because it's not going to be easy, but the new normal awaits us all. And, you know, we just got to get back, put our head down, and, and get to work to try to restore what those things that, that have been taken away. Um, but as a staff, as a program, we're just trying to stay as connected as possible, you know, not being in front of each and every one of us, passing each other by the hall or, or bumping into each other, having face-to-face conversations and dialogue. You just try to keep a new normal uh, when it comes to Zoom, when it comes to phone calls, FaceTime, and you just try to continue the, the camaraderie that you're missing although you know it's not going to be that way uh, 100% until you can get face-to-face with the team, with the staff, with the program. But we're practicing all the guidelines that the CDC is telling us, and we're just being safe first and foremost. The other part of it is we're just trying to stay, um, you know, as, as communicative on the areas around basketball, like, for instance, the mental part of it, the emotional part of it, and just trying to keep our – our competitive edge at the highest. And, and we're, we've been doing that. Our president and our AD, um, President Harlan Sands and Scott Garrett has, has given us and have done an unbelievable job of, of leading our department and our university. Now, I know with Cleveland State, it, it hit this, this uh, COVID hit pretty particularly hard at, you know, close to home um, as you're as I understand, your uh, your counterpart on the women's end, Chris Kilsmeyer, was actually you yeah. know actually contracted the disease. So you know how yeah. scary is that? I mean, that's a you know just somebody you're talking with every day, yeah. and then you know I'm sure you know that that has a that that has an extra personal you know right. impact on on both you and and your uh, and your staff and and the and the department as whole. Yeah, I just try to stay as connected with Coach Kilsmeyer during that time. We have a great working relationship, great friendship. And I was just, you know, sitting back, having conversations, letting them know we're here for them. Uh, 
but ultimately letting his staff know and also his uh, student athletes that, you know, if there's anything we can do, don't hesitate to reach out. And the big picture is they did a great job of, of, of you know, keeping him in quarantine. He did a great job of letting people know that he, he was sick because no one contracted it from that program or on that yeah. staff. So we're just excited that his health is back restored, uh, that he was able to be on the other side of it, meaning he fought through it, meaning yeah. it didn't spread beyond him. Uh, to mm-hmm. anyone else of our of his student athletes or staff in our department. Um, ironically enough, I was in Indianapolis at his first at the first game that the women played, uh, and he he ended up getting sick right afterwards. So uh, we just wanted to be as connected as possible. Sure. Um. So, Coach, obviously, you know, I I want to get I want to jump right into the I want to jump right into the the season you just had and uh-huh. um you kind of were obviously you were in a very unique situation when you first started um yep just kind of the fact that you were you jumped in like right in the middle of the summer and i guess my first question would be you know how did you how did you kind of handle that kind of you know real kind of crush of kind of going having to go from zero to a hundred like in really relatively short order yeah, it's a it's a dream come true. Uh, it's something I thought about even as an undergraduate becoming a head coach at a university. Uh, it's something that I've talked to and spoke with my mentors about uh, throughout my climb uh, as an assistant coach. And when the opportunity opened up, uh, I never looked at the negatives. I never looked at the time of year. I looked at the alignment with a great president and a great AD and the tradition of the program. Uh, once we uh, solidified that hiring date, which was at the end of uh, July, uh, when I had my press conference, you know, I had to, at that point to put a staff together and, and, and obviously sign some players, some players that mm-hmm. I thought would be able to uh, make an impact on and off the court and in the classroom. And we were able to do that in addition to re-recruiting the kids that were in the transfer portal and building a relationship. But mm-hmm. there's no doubt in my mind to others it may not have been an ideal situation, but to me, it was the perfect place. And I am so happy, so glad uh, that, you know, the, 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 I was able to cross the T's and dot the I's and, and get the support of Leonard Hamilton, my mentor, uh, that this would be a great move for me uh, to begin my career. And, and, and it's, it's been great, man. I'm, I'm very excited about where we are, what we were able to do, in the time frame that that we did it and i'm I'm excited to be a part of this university okay. i'm glad you've mentioned leonard hamilton because uh the last couple of uh, we talked with luke yaklich over at uic about his uh you know about uh john beeline and the influence he had on on him and yeah. we just talked to jared calhoun about you know the influence that bob huggins had on him I I know you've talked quite a lot over the last year about Leonard Hamilton and his influence on you, and I can also I also see that there's there's still quite a a, a lot of love coming still coming from Florida State for everything (laughs) that you do, and it's true, it's true. Um, So you know how important is it has it been to have a have a guy like Leonard Hamilton really being in your corner every step of the way 
especially during this season? Well, it's, it, it was very important. As you guys know, he came and flew in and surprised me at the press conference here on the campus of Cleveland State. But to have his relationship, his blessings, uh, it's not just, you know, between the lines or in the practice gym. He taught me how to be a husband and balance my career. He taught me how to be a father while balancing my career. And he taught me how to be a heck of a coach. Uh, I, I just think, you know, he's one of those um, head coaches who may not get all the credit he deserves uh, based off what he's been able to do in a period of time that he's been able to do it in. I was his graduate assistant uh, in 2004, 2005, at the very beginning of him building Florida State University. University. But he's been an architect in building a lot of programs and the blueprint and his, his insight to the first couple years was definitely instrumental. There was nights where I talked to him till about 2 a.m. And uh-huh. sometimes I called him at 3 a.m. and he was able to pick up and give me the advice that I needed. Uh, and and one, one thing that I would tell people is this, a part of his dream is to pour into young people. And for him to, to pour into my life, it was a uh-huh. dream for him that came true that I became a head coach and obviously, he wanted to support me at any and every turn along the way, and he will continue to do so. Great. Coach, would, would you say that it's um, his influence that kind of gives you a lot of your demeanor? Um, you, you are, you're a bit of a contrast to a lot of the coaches in the league, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, you're, <laughs> the way you present, you're, you know, you're much less of a character in a lot of ways. Um, that was one of the first things I noticed about you was uh, the way you presented yourself in press conferences and things. Um, is that a lot of his influence? Where does that come from, or is that just your, well, your upbringing? General. Well, that's a great that's a great question and a great observation. Um, well, when when I knew that at some point I would be uh, become a head coach, I, I immersed myself into watching Coach Hamilton at his radio show, going to the post game press conference, not after a win but after a tough loss, to see how he handled those situations and how he handled questions. So, like I said, off the court. He's had a major influence on me, but on the sidelines, I mean, it's about the players, man, and I try not to take anything away from those guys or, 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 or practice. Now, if you come to practice, which I invite you guys to come to, you'll see a different demeanor uh, sure. than in the games. And I'm saying that because there's nothing I can do but further confuse guys in, in, in the heat of the battle. I want my guys to be sharp. I want them to be concentrating on what needs to happen. Uh, and it's not about me. So, therefore, I spend more time and energy uh, preparing guys in practice. Uh, and I, and, I'm, and, and I've, I've just been taught to, to do it that way. Uh, and, and it may be a contrast to what people are used to seeing, but it's not different from, from the mentors that have impacted my life and taught me uh, how to become a, a head coach and, and, and one that is hopefully successful. Sure, sure. One thing I did actually, I do want to actually ask you about, because this is, this is, this actually is something that I, I can relate to. Now you got your master, you actually got your master's degree in adult education, which is actually, I myself have from Cleveland state. Oh, nice. Um, yes. Um, the, which is, which is an interesting kind of, departure because a lot of the you know because a lot of the coaches we we talk to a lot of them are you know their their graduate programs are usually sports related what what made you decide that that would be the direction you wanted to go and how has that impacted 
um, how wow. you've worked as a coach. Let me tell you something. You have gained all of my respect with this question. This is the first time I've ever been asked this question. Really? And it's something that I hold that I hold dear to my heart. So I got into adult education. I didn't want to do sports management. Florida State had an unbelievable sports management program, one of the uh -huh. tops in the country. I didn't want to do sports management. I was curious about continuing education opportunities for non-traditional uh, students, meaning those that may start college after they've been in the workplace and try to continue, those that came from the services, uh, meaning uh, Army, Navy, Marines, or whatnot, at a different age. And those students would be thrown into the environment where the traditional 18 to 22-year-old student would be considered the college student. Now, sure. I wanted to concentrate on that while also my spin was put on continuing education for professional athletes. Uh -huh. So that was the other part of it because I looked at my career as a coach. I looked at my mentality. I'm a lifelong learner. Uh -huh. And I think we as adults never stop learning. Uh, and, and, I, and I hold that true to my heart. I hold it true to my staff. And professional development is in that adult education wheelhouse. Yeah. We just don't identify it in that. So for me, that was the spin, the lure, the, the interest of uh -huh. becoming a, a student in adult education. Um, and and it was, it's been an unbelievable experience. It taught me a lot of things that I didn't know exist that I still hold on to to this day uh -huh. uh, as I sift through my notes. So I appreciate sure. that question, and, and, and I really do because it's something that I am passionate about. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure you can. I'm, I'm also sure you can uh, recite word for word Maslow's hierarchy of needs as most of us can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of it has gone away, but some of it I know where to find it. How about that? that there you go. There you go. Um, so, yeah, the, and I'm, I'm, as a follow up, kind of, because I know in the press conferences, some of the press conferences, you've actually alluded um you you've actually alluded to the academic success of your your players, um, which mm -hmm. you you've you've kind of you know make that a point of pride. Not if not even uh, if not if not more so than uh, yep. the accomplishments on the court specifically. I know one press conference you mentioned the fact that uh, Trey Gomillion and Craig Bodwan who happened to be your starting starting backcourt at the time were also Dean's list students. Um, yep. and I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily consider it an accident that, you know, a, you have, you have student athletes who are successful, uh, both on the court and then kind of are able to, uh, are, or off the court and then kind of translate that into, you know, some success on the right. court, because obviously, uh, you know, the, during the right before Craig Bodwan got uh, got hurt, he was essentially your point guard, and obviously we know no we know kind of we we definitely know how how great how good a uh, defensive player a Trey Gomillion is, and not to mention the fact mm -hmm. he's won a couple of games for you. Um, yeah, yeah. I I, I I I correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming you know you're, you obviously see that correlation as well. Well, I, I truly believe that. Um, the the character you build on the court, off the court, 
in different areas uh, are all connected and parallel. Um, I want guys that's going to compete with each other, uh, with their teammates in terms of who's 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 got the best jump shot in addition to who's had, who has the best GPA. If we're not having those conversations about competing in the classroom with each other, then we're not competing holistically. We're not competing to be the best husbands and the best fathers we can become later down the line because as we compete between the lines, if we can't compete off the court, then what type of household will you be prepared to run or, or be a part of? Is it going to be one of championship residue that you learned at Cleveland State University along the way? And hopefully that is the case, and that's what I, I predict, and that's what I hope happens, that these young men that we are fortunate enough to impact and influence, that they pick up things along the way that when that ball stops bouncing, uh, they're able to use what we taught them to one day teach their children and, and, and within their household. So I'm excited about where we are in that area. I'm excited about our accomplishments in the classroom because the character we're molding is a direct correlation with our level of competition. And when that competition is, is, is as detailed as it is when it comes to a GPA, may be simple, but those things definitely spill off into the court in everyday life. So um, and one other uh, one other thing that I, I that kind of struck me is you, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, when you were uh, on the court when you know you were looking at players especially during the beginning of the season where you were looking at trying to get you know gel the team and everything you were looking everywhere not just on the with the scholarship players but with some of the some of the walk-ons and one in particular <laughs> one in particular um, is Jeremy How did Sanchez. I know where this question was going? How did I know where this question was going? <laughs> Just lucky, I guess. Well, I'll but tell you this, I'm... and I'll give you, I'll give you the background of why I feel a certain way about Walker. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. While at Cal Berkeley, when I played for Ben Braun, who was a Hall of mm-hmm. Fame coach, every year a walk-on earned a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ Diggs, Ryan Forehand Kelly, Connor Fermilner, Alex Pribble. We've done that throughout the culture that I played in college basketball. So, therefore, ironically, as I am a head coach now, I look for the same things because I know the impact that a walk-on program has or or great walk-on could have. Um, Just because they're not recruited doesn't mean they can't play or can't make an impact. Jeremy Sanchez started several games for us, and he won several games for us. Um, But his level of competition – his level of excellence in the classroom, his level of, of respect for his teammates, his level of respect for strangers, uh, his appreciation to wear that jersey, that's the type of residue you have to have instilled in each and every guy for them to respect the jersey every day that they put on. Now, Jeremy Sanchez res- respects the Cleveland State University jersey, and he, he's going to be a very successful young man. There's very few people in this country that can outwork him, very few. And I respect that young man so much, and obviously there are some things that he taught us as a program that, you know, you, you, you can come in with accolades, but you got to earn them each and every day, and he earned every bit of what he received. And, and his family is proud of him, his coaches, his high school, they all are proud of him. And he, I'm just excited to, to be a part of this young man's life 
and coach him the way that we're able to coach him and build a relationship that we're sure. able to build with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I and, and the one thing that it what always what struck me about Jeremy Sanchez is I know there was one game it was I'm pretty sure it was against Detroit Mercy and there was like a three uh-huh. minute stretch where he was the one guarding Antoine Davis and. <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and, yeah. yeah, and and it's like, so here's this kid. He had to work to get on the team. He doesn't have a scholarship, and here is arguably the best player in the Horizon League, and he's picking that guy's pocket. Well, when you believe in young people, when you believe in young people, and when you believe in young people and give them the confidence that they need, uh, they can be successful. But Jeremy, like I said, he's a, he pays attention to detail, and we have a specific scouting report. And guess what? Jeremy Sanchez can't go between the lines and not, to a T, execute the scouting report. He has to because his skills and talent says so. But also a skill and talent that he has is following directions and doing what's right, okay? And when you have a kid like that, it spills over into every aspect of your team, every corner, every, every, every young man that's there is watching. And guess what? His teammates were cheering. They were cheering for him the entire way. And there was no jealousy, no no envy. There was nothing negative that came about uh, Jeremy Sanchez earning a starting spot because that's the culture that we have. That's what we expect of our guys. We expect to be friends 40 years from now, uh, meaning each and every guy. And that's how they cheered for Jeremy Sanchez. And that's when you know you, you're, you're turning the corner and building the right program uh, that's instilling certain characteristics that you would like to see down the road. So I'm excited about what he's done and what he'll continue to do. Now, one of the big, uh, one of the other great, uh, one of the major signatures of your team during this past season, without a doubt, is the defense. (laughs) I mean, um, that was, that was one thing that definitely should, should have stood out to literally anybody Uh who's watched your team. Um, Just that, and I, I've said on this podcast multiple times, even you know, even when thing, you know, even when the team was struggling, this you know, Cleveland States is going to defend their way into at least a couple of wins that we don't expect. Um, right, right. And so, so with that said, the what, what kind of how how are you able to instill that strategy into your players? Um, and, and another question, and also another question. That, you know, um, you mentioned kind of the camaraderie um, and the you know the sense of family. Um, how, how do you keep you know how, how do you keep those spirits up when things aren't really going your way? Well, I think in terms of you know as adults, and I'll answer the last question first. Sure. As adults, kids follow everything that you do. You talked about my demeanor on the sideline. Never did I bring the stresses of being a head coach onto the shoulders of my young men or nor my assistant coaches. Um, I just made sure that they knew what support looks like because as, as a staff and as grownups, we supported them. I wanted them to, them to understand uh, what camaraderie looked like between me and my staff so that it could be mimicked between the lines with them. I wanted them to, to see that beyond basketball, there are people that exist, meaning I am Dennis Gates, not just Coach Gates. Uh-huh. You are Craig Bodwan or Trago Million, not 
the basket, not number five or number three, right? I wanted them to understand that there's different layers to who we are as people that make us the competitors that we are. And once we broke down those barriers and educated each other on who we were, you then saw a, a, a camaraderie, a sense of togetherness form. You saw a culture form, and each year is different. Each year is different, and you have to be able to reinvent the wheel of whether it's an icebreaker or continuing to, to show young people the best version of themselves. Uh, and, and that's what we were able to do. That's what we always have done and will continue to do that even during this quarantine over Zoom because the level of conversations we have is, 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 is building a relationship and a foundation that can last a lifetime. If these young men aren't inviting me to their weddings, then I failed. If they're not inviting me or sending me an invite to a special occasion uh, that's going on with them, if they're not having a conversation with me in regards to a career change later in life, then I failed them between the ages of 18 and 22. And I didn't do my job in building the men that I expect to build, but most importantly, the relationship I expect to build. That entail goes into the court of faith, trust, and, and the core principles that we believe in as a program. That allows a kid, if I say you're not running hard, in that tone, in that voice, I don't have to yell that. That just means what it means. And that we'll see a direct correlation with their actions and a change in their speed. Because ultimately, all these young men want to work hard, but they don't know what they don't know. They don't know that sometimes it's difficult to be as consistent as, as a competitor, but they knew one thing between the lines, you're going to play hard. You're going to leave what you got on the court, and that's what they've done. And I can only respect that because ultimately that's what we've preached, that's what we've taught. And that defensive philosophy that we've adapted comes from Leonard Hamilton. It's something that he's used at Miami. It's something that he's used at Oklahoma State. It's something that he's used at Florida State. You know, so through the years, it has withstood the test of time. It has uh -huh. withstood the level of competition, Big East, Big 12, ACC, against the Blue Bloods or, or whatever you call it. It's withstood that, and it's been proven to be successful. Hey, Coach, um, you've talked about a little bit about, you know, obviously Leonard Hamilton's influence and how, not just – not just on the court, but outside of it. Um, now that you're getting into a, almost a year into the job, almost, um, what's the biggest um, change and what have you learned as far as, you know, that family balance? I know you're married with, with two children, right? So what, what's the biggest yep. thing you've learned in this year as, as this has been, has been your first head coaching um, job? Yeah, I mean, just having a proactive vision, uh, including versus excluding, making sure not just the, the – uh, Players know who they are, but the players have a relationship with each and every family member that, that, that's under my roof. Uh, they have to understand, as young children, my kids see me absent from home, but they got to understand the reason why. And sometimes my players may know and understand that my children are in the gym or, or coming uh, to a game or coming to the office after, after a game. At the end of the day, we want these young men to be successful husbands, successful fathers, and to be that, you have to see that. And therefore, I mesh my worlds and allow them to see not just me, but my staff. After every home game, it is a mandatory thing with my staff that their families, 
come to the office. I don't care if we win or lose. It's a mandatory thing for our student-athletes to bring whomever they've invited to the game on their ticket list through our office to the game. And, and that's very important when you mesh all those worlds together because some family members and friends don't know others. And we want everyone to know that we're in this together, we're supportive, but ultimately we want them to see the families that we're coming from because one day these young men are going to be husbands and fathers. Um, so as we look forward to, as we look forward to from this, this season to the upcoming season, Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, the roster as it's looking for next season. And I want to start right. I want to start right at not somebody who you're bringing in, but somebody who is coming back and that's Al Eichelberger. Um, who, who had, who, who honestly had a breakout season, I mean, he's you know he's a he had a had an all league se- all conference season, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that you know when he made the decision to to remain at Cleveland State, I know he he had a, he had a lot of kind words to say about you about the institution uh, uh, with regards to that, um, and and kind of he kind of outlined kind of how you know his journey has been taken a few different turns to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but how important is it to have that anchor right in the, uh, uh, like Eichelberger coming back for you? And, and more importantly, I guess the other question I did, um, because I, I don't know if you know this, noticed this, but Cleveland state has had this weird issue with grad transfers over the last five or 10 years. So yeah. how, you know, how, how nice is it to have one of your grad transfers stay? Well, I'm, I'm excited to coach Al Eichelberger. I was excited when I first got the job because I've seen Al Eichelberger play in high school over at Lollamere. I've seen him play out on the West Coast when he was mm-hmm. at prep school. So I've known what Al Eichelberger could do. It was just a matter of me building a relationship that he trusted and raising a mirror in front of his face so that he knows who he's in competition with. It's not an opponent. It's not anyone else. Young people are in, in competition with themselves and the mm-hmm. mental part of the game. Uh, we've always known Al Eichelberger uh, to do what he did this past season. Mm-hmm. He just hadn't been able to tap into the part of the game that he's enjoyed the most uh, because of a twist or a turn here or there. He went through some coaching changes uh, as he started his career at DePaul, as he signed with uh, Cleveland State. So he's been there, done that. I don't think he wanted to explore that any further. But ultimately, the one thing that Al Eichelberger was able to research and do was understand that 95% of the graduate transfers out there who pursue other dreams and aspirations elsewhere don't even come close to the stats that they just left the year before. They are not achieving on the same level the number of success that they had previously. That's a proven fact. Uh, is well documented, and he educated himself on that. He understood that, and I don't. I don't think he wanted another head coach. He wanted. He 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 experienced success for the first time at the college level under our system, um, and we did exactly what we said we were going to do. We didn't focus or ask him about being a, a, a graduate transfer or not during the year. I told him one thing. I said, Al. This is what I want you to do. 
I want you to concentrate on being the best player for Cleveland State in your last year. We even had a senior day for him. And quite frankly, I'm not against having another senior day for him. And I told him that, hey, you may come back, you may not, but I just wanted you to have a senior day just in case. And he respected that. He he respected the foresight, but he understands how much I believe in him as a head coach and how much our staff believes believes in him as well as assistants. And he's building something, and he's been anchoring that, and we're excited to to coach him for another season. And he was the most important recruit in this class. Nice. Um, one other one other recruit I want to uh, an actual new student. Well, not necessarily new at this point, but uh, a guy a guy who uh, a guy who fit, uh, Alec Oglesby who it was in the unique situation of he actually graduated from high school in this uh, at the end of last year and then yep. opted to enroll for la- in uh, in the spring mm-hmm. semester. So yeah. theoretically, he's kind of got to jump on a lot of the class of 2020 in terms of you know the the way you uh, your your program operates and uh, what is it, what is kind of how do you feel that that's going to uh, how impact his his progress during his freshman year well, because he's I got that extra semester yeah. that never, not everybody had. Yeah, he's an amazing young man. Being here for the beginning of the Horizon League and and watching it up close and personal was an advantage, a competitive advantage that's going to help him throughout his career because now he knows what he's training for. A lot of incoming new guys don't know. They just don't know because they hadn't been through it. They hadn't seen the locker room behind the scenes. They they hadn't seen the preparation. Alec was a part of all of it from day one. There were times this season where I looked down the bench. I I had to stop myself from saying, hey, let's let's not reassure this year you're going to play because he gives us those strengths that we didn't have, and that's being able to shoot the ball at a high level. So I had to understand the big picture with his career and not throw him into the fire and understand it was a process, and I'm glad we didn't uh, play him in the emergency situation because we had injuries in the end of the season where Franklin Penn was down and Craig Goldwyn was down, and and we could have used them. But I never wanted to flinch. I never wanted to put him in a a disadvantage. And this upcoming season, I'm expecting big things from him as he was an unbelievable competitor for us, um, you know, when he checked in mid-semester. And his dad did a great job coaching him. Uh, Mr. Oglesby uh, down at the Rock School, and he, this young man is one of the hardest workers I've seen. You think, uh, you know, Jeremy Sanchez is a hard worker. Alec Oglesby uh, practices every single day, one-on-one drills and whatever it is, the same level that you see um, Jeremy Sanchez practice with. Sure. Is there a reason we don't see the early enrollee in basketball as often? I feel like we see it in college football a bunch, but yeah. you don't usually see it in basketball. Is there a reason for that? Because it sounds like he's got a great yeah. advantage. That's that's a good question, and and it's because we're the only sport that goes into both seasons or both semesters. Uh, we start in the fall and finish in the, you know pretty much the spring. So it's hard and difficult for a kid to give up their senior year and Alec Oglesby was that type of kid that gave up his senior year. He gave up prom. He gave up even the season. He gave up half his season, high school season, to come and play for Cleveland State because he knew it would help him in the big picture. So I think that is why, uh, unlike football, football, you know, is the off season. Spring semester is the off season for football players. 
and they went through their entire high school year, so they're not essentially giving up anything except for prom, um, and that's it. So, and Oglesby, obviously, it, I'm not going to lie, you were pretty busy this recruiting season, Coach. <laughs> you got to, <laughs> I hey, mean, we better have been busy. <laughs> we better well, have been busy. We, we know what you were able to put uh, put together within about a, two weeks of jo- uh, of uh, of getting hired. I, I I was I was always going to be interested in how what you were going to do with the full recruiting cycle. And well, <laughs> well, hopefully we didn't let you down. No. Um. So yeah. So you you were quite busy both in both signing periods. Obviously. Um, Oglesby was one of them. Um, obviously, Demoy Hodge, which is who, yep. in, in many circles, is probably is one of the top junior college players. Um, probably a huge impact for you, especially scoring wise. Um, yep. You got the big guy Maybor Magic coming in. Yep. Um, we haven't seen it. Yeah, Cleveland State hasn't had a seven footer in a while, so uh, that should be that's going to be an interesting. Exciting. Uh, Yes, and uh, obviously you got a little bit of local flavor in there because you got Yael Hill in coming in yeah, um, right. from from Cleveland Heights. I did not realize he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was the he he holds the school record for uh, scoring at Cleveland Heights. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah all time leading scorer in Cleveland Heights history. That's insane because I know because given who went there, I mean Damon Stringer <laughs> and. Damon Stringer and Jamal Harris and Theo Dixon, all of which yeah. at one point in time went to Cleveland State. I might add. Um, yeah. And it's it's crazy to think that all of them, you know, played in Yael Hills, the guy at the top. So that's that's going to be. Yeah. I. I um, but I also I didn't uh, you know one of the, I guess one of the things that always comes up, especially if you're a Cleveland State fan, is the the ties the local recruiting ties. I I don't know how many times I've heard that multiple times over the years ad nauseum. Um, and there was always a there's always been a concern about okay is the, are we going to have a coach who's going to have you know you know bring in the local ties. You kind of resolve that right quick and in a hurry when you hired Drew Joyce. <laughs> From down the, <laughs> down the road, uh, I don't. I don't think anybody's going to question your credentials on you know what hey. can he can you work locally when you got a guy like Drew Joyce. Well, not just Drew Joyce, but also Rob Summers. Um, yeah. You know, also an Ohio guy. Uh, but yeah. but I it, obviously Steve they, Wright, Steve Wright, our video coordinator yeah. from Ohio. Another yeah. one, yeah, absolutely. So you you've got that. You obviously got that Ohio influence, which is. Always good, but uh, but you know, so you you got Yael Hill coming in from Cleveland Heights, but you also got uh, during the spring signing period, you also had uh, brought in Jason Woodrich, who was doing yep. who was at prep school in Pennsylvania, but he's a kid from yep. out of uh, out of Beechwood. Yeah, and, very um, important. It was it was very important that we got a guy like Jason Woodridge as well. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, I, I stop me if I stop me if you. Uh, I I've noticed that the you know the the the, the recruiting class, uh, uh, their big feature is that a lot of them are very prolific uh, three point shooters. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a reason why that happened? Well, we didn't shoot the ball quite well, and I knew that with the guys that we were able to sign. Uh, yeah. So I knew what we were going to have to sign in the next class so in August when we took over I knew potentially on paper we would be the uh possibly the worst shooting team in in Horizon League but 
we would have guys that competed at another level. We've got five-star compete, uh, competitors. We have five, five-star toughness. And I wanted guys to be able to set a culture, guys that would lay the concrete, guys that would dig the ditches and, and make sure we lay a f- solid foundation to work. Because ultimately, you can't build a, build, build a program without hard work. I knew guys would work in the classroom, on the court, off the court, and I wanted that. So there's no way around that part of it, and it's sure. a big picture in the process, right, no yeah. matter if they were junior college kids or high school. Well, in our second class, which I can consider this, this class as our second class, sure. we were able to get some talented individuals who also scored the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. But they had to be the right kids that fit into what we already had. The hard work, we wanted mm-hmm. them to fit with the personalities of Al Javon Eichelberger, uh, Deontay Johnson, and Tory Patton, who you hadn't mentioned yet, but Tory Patton is definitely sure. a, 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 a high-level player in our conference sure. uh, that we're looking forward to his production in his senior year. But we wanted to build that class, so we brought in Yael Hill, Mm-hmm. who is one of the top point guards in the country uh, in junior college, all-time leading scorer in Cleveland Heights history, a magician with the basketball, a guy that can go get his own shot, but also a guy whose toughness is proven at all levels, whether it's mm-hmm. D2, whether it's JUCO in the toughest con- conference in the country, the Panhandle con- Conference, and even uh, you, you look at Alec Oglesby, toughness. You look at Demoy Hodge. Toughness. Mm-hmm. These guys come with a grit and a disposition about themselves that adds to what we already have in a great way. Ultimately, mm-hmm. they are great kids, unselfish sure. kids, unselfish spirit. Uh, but they're great teammates, great competitors, and they can shoot the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Jason Woodridge, who's from Beachwood High School, right down Cedar. You know, right down Cedar. You 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 look at that young man and what he's been able to do. I think I, I think we will all say that Rick Pitino knows what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. He's a kid yeah. that Rick Pitino targeted uh, at Iona as one of his first recruits. So for me to get a kid like that and, and allow him to understand staying home is important is huge. Now we look at Mabor Menjant, a 7'2 kid uh, who has been coached from, uh, you know, with one of the best basketball programs in the best basketball state. Uh, of Indiana in Indianapolis. Uh, So that high school teaching that he's gotten the last four years and the position that he plays, we're excited to coach the length, the size, the athleticism that he has. It's not seen in the Horizon League, so therefore it stands out. But I'm not preparing just for a Horizon League. I want to prepare and build a team that's going to be able to win games in the NCAA tournament. And that's always been a goal of mine. And look at Chris Green, who is from CCBC, junior college kid, six mm-hmm. seven, six eight. He can flat out shoot it and sure. rebound. So for us, now we're looking at the components of what we've meshed in this team around, and we're addressing one of our biggest weaknesses. Now, yeah. if you look at our team's success this past year, it's not where I want it to be. It's not mm-hmm. by any means. But what if we had the same shooting that this class brings in on that team this past season. That's where mm-hmm. games are won and lost and field yeah. goal percentages, right? And mm-hmm. we didn't do a good job of scoring behind the three-point line. Everybody knows that. That was a weakness. And I mm-hmm. identified that. Our staff identified it. And we're excited about the group that we've added to our to our roster. 
Um, and our staff did a great job. I convinced Drew Joyce the third to hang up his sneakers, and you know it was a recruiting process because he sure. had a couple years left and playing professionally, but he also knew his dreams and aspirations of coaching. So I'm excited to have him, Rob Summers, Steve Wright, and then also Dickie Nutt, uh, Ryan Sharbo, and Chase Goldstein on our staff. Great group sure. of guys, and probably about four head coaches on that list that I just named. Yeah. Um, one last one last question before we close out. Now, obviously, we we know you are a you are a Chicago guy. Yes, I born am. and raised. Um, um, and so I, I got to ask you about Michael Jordan because obviously uh, the last dance just happened. <laughs> yeah. Um. Great question. I, yes. So I, I guess you know, growing up, obviously in Chicago, when Michael Jordan was the was the guy. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, have the, you know what? What was that? Uh, how was you know? How was that a big you know? How how uh, you know? How did that influence you? And how was you know? How yeah. you know? I guess my other question would be: Have you it, did you know as as a as a as a player coming out of Chicago? Did you ever have any interaction with MJ? Yeah, well, I'll address the impact that Michael Jordan had on our basketball culture in the city of Chicago. Uh, if you look at, you know, the, the type of players that came out throughout the years, yeah. but you look at the graduating high school class of 1998, his last season, yeah. that is arguably the best high school graduating class in, in, in Illinois history. We had over 30 Division One athletes, Division One oh. basketball players come out of that class. It was 10 guys ranked in the top 100, 10. There were three or four, no matter of fact, there were four McDonald's All-Americans in that class alone. There were over 10 NBA players in that class alone, yet alone guys that played overseas. So when you think about the impact that he had for the incoming freshmen in 1994 throughout their career, everybody wanted to be like Mike. Every, everyone wanted that. And I was a kid that looked up to him. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to to play in open gyms. Uh, I have a great relationship with his trainer, Tim Grover, uh, who, who I've, you know, developed a friendship with over the years. And I was able to see him train at a high level behind the scenes, whether it's weight training or conditioning or even shooting and, and, and playing five on fives. But MJ used to open up the gyms for all college players. And when we came back home, there were high level runs, five on five games that he was a part of. Uh, and he put together. So it was a great experience, but more on my coaching side, I was able to have something that I would consider a bucket list item. Uh, yeah. I sat down and had dinner with Michael Jordan. Uh, uh-huh. He, my best friend, Quentin Richardson, and one of my mentors, George Rapman. It was a, I was completely taken back and, and caught off guard, and it was a surprise because nor Quentin Richardson nor uh, George Rapman told me that this situation would be happening. I just saw Michael Jordan walking up. And he pulled out a seat, sat down, and at that point, I think I was froze for about 15 to 20 minutes until I said <laughs> my first words. But it was a great, great experience, great atmosphere, and it's something that, you know, I'd say and I tell everybody it's the best date I ever had until I met my wife on our first date. So it was a great experience and, and something that I'll always cherish. Well, well, coach, um, yeah, that's good. Thank you very much again for joining us. We, we really appreciate you. Appreciate no, you taking you. the time.
Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you a lot. Uh, as I always say, go Vikes. There you go. All right. And that's going to wrap it up for us. As always, you can uh, c- catch episodes of the Horizon Roundtable on our website, horizonroundtable.com. You can listen to episodes wherever podcasts are found. Um, and you can also pull us up on your uh, Amazon or Google devices. So, uh, as always, thank you very much for listening, and uh, you'll enjoy the long weekend because I know Memorial Day weekend's coming up.